Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm one of your panelists sitting in the host seat for right now. I'm Bob Horton and joining me on the panel, of course, Chief Jeff Buchanan. How are you, Jeff? B.O.B. Doing great. I'm sitting in the host chair today and let's give Inanna Hanke a huge shout out. If you're a regular listener of the show, Inanna has been our host for Fire Headlines since its inception. But like many of us at the Western Fire Chiefs Association, she loves a good challenge and is always looking for what's next. Inanna has decided to take on a new career path, and we are so excited to see where this takes her, and we're wishing her the best of luck. She was a huge part of getting this show off the ground and making it what it is today. But Inanna has not left us high and dry, Jeff. Uh, She has been preparing our producer, who has been behind the scenes making Fire Headlines a possibility to join us and take over as the new host. So joining us as the new Fire Headlines host is Samantha Didion. Samantha, welcome to being on this side of the production of Fire Headlines. For our listeners, just a little background about Samantha. She's originally from Ohio and made her move to Southern Oregon after completing her undergraduate degree to be a multimedia journalist at a TV news station. After a year working in news, Samantha joined me at my previous fire department where she was our community engagement coordinator. She has now been at the Western Fire Chiefs Association since June and is attending Washington State University to earn her master's degree in strategic communications. Samantha, we're excited to bring you, your knowledge, your expertise of journalism and communication to the mix of the show. Without further ado, Samantha, because this has been a lot of pressure sitting in the host seat for for, uh, this episode and having done the, the Maui show, it is with great pleasure I pass command of the show back over to you to introduce our articles. Thank you, Bob. I'm very excited to be joining you and Jeff on the public facing side of fire headlines. Now let's get to today's topic, which is the use of artificial intelligence in 911 call centers. Officials in Charleston County in South Carolina are now using AI to streamline non-emergency calls. This is part of an effort to free up 911 operators to focus on getting first responders to the scene of emergencies as quickly as possible. Callers who dial the Charleston County 7200 number are screened by an AI call taker named Matthew, who will ask the caller to provide a brief description and then will forward them to the appropriate number. Jeff, what is your take on this type of technology being used in 911 call centers? Samantha, great to have you on the show. Love the question. I'm going to flip the script a little bit on the perspective of this. I'm I'm really into the AI and appreciate getting first responders there more quickly and what technology brings to the table. I I love all that. I think it's great for the community. But the three things that really resonated from me are more from the the communication specialist point of view. And I think there's three super important things that this type of technology can do to really improve the overall system, but also enhance the lives of the comm specialist. Uh, Number one. In the area of psychological health, I think that having AI take some of these calls off the table. And even though in this particular case, we're talking about non-emergency calls, there could be an evolution where they're they're taking even emergency calls off the table, um, which I think could contribute to the improvement of psychological, emotional, behavioral health for, for comm specialists who frankly, sometimes are lost in the shuffle. 
We spent a lot of time in the emergency response space, focusing on EMTs, firefighters, police officers, who are more forward-facing and how they deal with post-traumatic stress. And we are getting better, but we don't do a great job in really incorporating our comm specialists who are there taking those calls and hear, hearing the harrowing incidents as they actually unfold. So that, that, that's, that's a point number one. Uh, number two, I think also happens in the area of, of, of closure. And um, again, I know that the article pricks the surface on calls that are of lower acuity and, and not of a sense of urgency, but I'm looking down, down road here as this whole thing kind of involves. And I, I like, I like the fact that artificial intelligence could harness and scrape some of these calls and really lower and even lower the, the work volume for, um, for the, for the uh, comp specialist. And finally, just let me say that, my experience, and Bob might have a different perspective, in general, comm specialists don't enjoy call taking. That's not their favorite part of their job. They want to dispatch. They want to engage with the first responders. They want to help guide them on their mission to actually help the public. So uh, while I took a leap there from the article as it focused mostly on calls in the system that are that are non-emergent i like the beginnings of this i like where it's going and i think that not only will it improve the response times of our first responders and our limited resources it's going to improve enhance the lives of uh the lives of all of our comm specialists which i think uh you know they don't get enough press from from my perspective in the world of of uh of first responders because they really are our first first responders I'm going to build on to what what Jeff said. This this technology, this integration into our 911 centers, this isn't a nice to have. This is a necessity. We have reached a critical staffing shortage of dispatch centers all across the country. And less operators to answer the calls means it takes longer to answer calls and or you have to work the operators that are showing up to shift. They have to work harder. To Jeff's point, the job is hard. It's very difficult. They're grossly underpaid. They don't receive the benefits they deserve and they don't stay. A lot don't stay. Why would they? under those circumstances, high stress, low pay. But the, t- the technology itself is, is helping to do a lot of the things that Jeff had described, and it helps allocate appropriate utilization of the resources. But I, I wanna talk through the 911 call for a second, because a lot of folks assume, like there's just a general assumption, unless you actually work in emergency services, that people call 911 when there is an emergency. And that isn't in fact what happens in practice. Now there's a, big, a a broad definition of emergency, maybe in their mind it's it's emergent, the article addresses that maybe. But what we do is we got to accept the fundamental assumption of how the system operates. And 911 has become the frictionless access point for government services. I think it's it's fitting that Amazon web services is part of this AI and this in this development. And you know, Amazon has built the one click purchase system. It is the frictionless way to make purchases on an online marketplace. 911, albeit is not one click, it's three clicks on your phone, but it is the frictionless access point to government services. And because of that, that is what gets utilized in many cases when folks don't know who else to call or don't have access to to the right government resources, they're going to use the 911 system. So rather than the frustration that public service has shown throughout its career to say, you know, stop calling 911, call somebody else, 
utilizing this AI technology, particularly in low acuity. And the reason why they're doing it in low acuity, Jeff's right. This will, as we build confidence in the system, it will, it will breed into other spaces where we are confident that it can manage the call in a way that we're, we're happy with, but the technology's new. And this organization had the courage to put it into play and to test it in these non-emergent, low acuity, what they are calling administrative calls for service. And they give the example of the cat in the tree. That's that 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 isn't what's burying down emergency nine one one services. I mean, it happens. Uh, but folks who are outside emergency services can resonate to say, I don't know that that's an emergent response. But there are there are a higher percentage of calls that are demanding of emergency response services that are non-emergent. And this technology, I am confident, is going to be able to help solve that. All right. I'm going to put my journalist hat on here for a second. Uh, Just like first responders, journalists are always thinking, you know, how will this impact our community? So I want to ask our panel, how do you think the community members will respond to calling up that 7200 number, expecting to speak to a person, but instead getting, you know, an AI voice. What do you think their response to that will be? Yeah. So, Samantha, let let me just say, and of course, it's anecdotal. I don't have the evidence to back up what I'm about to say. I think it's fair to assume there could be a level of frustration. I, I, I don't know anybody in their lives that enjoys talking to an AI type voice. However, I think there has to be a reality check. I think that certainly we need to get feedback from our community as we provide emergency services. There's no doubt about that. But the reality of the situation is this understaffing that we're experiencing is not going to go away. So we have to lean into innovation, we have to lean into technology, and we have to prioritize these concerns. In other words, if the community had concern with any type of AI intervention in regards to the dispatch system, then we would have to, we would have to segment that and thin slice it and get down to, okay, is their concern greater on higher level of urgency calls or these lower acuity? Either way, I don't think there's any way to get around the train that is actually coming because this understaffing isn't going to go away. And because we need this interaction on the dispatch side, we have to come up with an answer that is going to work long-term, that is going to work for the system. And so, yeah, I, I, I think there could be pushback from the community, but I think if you get out in front and we articulate what the problem is, if we are able to describe the challenges that call takers have right now, I think that we'll have a a much better opportunity to get the buy-in that we need for this to be a long-term solution. And I would add, because I think it's an absolutely fair question. And this, and that to me is a user experience question. If the way this technology is being utilized is press one for a fire emergency, press two for you know, I want to, I have the cat in the tree scenario. Like, no, no, nobody will want that. That system is getting rejected outright. If you're talking to what sounds like, you know, a competent person who's helping to process information faster, the, the, the case I would try to make is you, if the choice is nobody answers the phone or the AI system answers the phone and gets the system started, 
what would what would people choose? Because what we've demonstrated over the last, let's call it half decade to a decade, is we can't sustain the staffing levels necessary for the influx of call volume coming into the system. And something else on a point I meant to make earlier and, and had forgot is the 911 caller's value to the system, my opinion, is not processing of information so we can get the call out fast. That's that's a valuable step in the process in the system. But the the human interaction that we want is the coaching, the guidance, the pre-arrival instructions. That is the true value of a highly trained 911 call taker is when we're in these emergent conditions that there are instructions that can be provided to the person on the other end of the 911 call who can affect the outcome of an incident, of an emergency. And that's where we need them to spend their time. It's not uncommon today that we could be providing instructions like that in our systems, but we don't have time because there's three or four other calls waiting. And we don't know if that's, uh, hey, I, I noticed I drove by the fire hydrant 15 minutes ago and there's some water dripping out of it, or it's somebody who's having a, a contractions and a baby is there's eminent delivery of baby. I mean, we just don't know. But what if AI was was processing those three to four calls that are on hold and can sort that deck out and say, we can direct you for the leaky fire hydrant to the left and the one that's in labor is getting a human right away. And that's where I see the value of the, the system is it's going to answer calls when otherwise the phone would just ring. Absolutely. And Bob, you talked about these operators being underpaid and not having adequate benefits. Can you shine a little bit more light on that to someone who doesn't know the ins and outs of a 911 call center and maybe what their daily tasks and duties are and why these resources aren't going towards getting them a higher salary or more benefits? Sure, it it does vary across the country, but by and large, the majority of our 911 operators are categorized in an employment category as a telecommunications operator. So whether you're answering 911 calls and walking somebody through how to deliver a baby until paramedics would arrive on scene or or a vehicle that's now been submerged by water and you're trying to communicate with someone on how to get out or providing CPR instructions, you get the point, is not the same as the, the telecommunications operator who works for a credit card company who's trying to track down payments for a credit card. But from a from a system level, they're treated the same. So a lot of our 911 operators are not receiving what we call public safety benefits that that Jeff and I were were privileged to for having been emergency response firefighters where there's uh, protections against our our certain conditions that we have there that in the states we worked was presumed to be work related. They don't receive the the uh, early retirement benefits that others of us in public safety have received due to the stress and and uh, hazards of a position that we had chosen as as public safety professionals. These folks, by and large, aren't receiving those types of benefits, and and uh, arguably they are at a higher degree of stress. I I, I did some nine one one call taking when I was managing a nine one one center, and I'll have to tell you it was the most stressful role I have ever sat in, in the, in the system of all the roles that I had because a paramedic you're unseen and you can manage with some element of control to the extent you can. But when you're present face to face with somebody in a situation where you could call for more resources to help, or you could allocate the, the, the hands you have to help you unseen, 
when you're trying to bring calm to the chaos on the phone of a of someone who calls 911 and they're frantic and you can't get any information out of a frantic person. So, you know, here are these folks who are frantic. You're trying to get information so you can get resources to them. And then to my earlier point, now you're trying to provide them instructions to if somebody's bleeding on how are you going to control that bleeding before? Because there is a long time and long time can be one minute or it could be 10 minutes or 15 minutes before the actual EMS providers, emergency medical service providers are going to show up on a scene. And that 911 call taker is it. That is the first first responder who is providing the life-saving information over the phone. That's stressful. It, it's it's easy to see how busy a job like that can be, how stressful that environment is. When Jeff and I were working paramedic paramedicine in the streets, and we had a tough call. We, 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 we'd go out of service for however long we needed. We, we had that type of a system. We, you know, we, we could sit maybe at the hospital after we delivered a patient there and decompress amongst our, our peers for a little while. Our 911 operators aren't afforded the same opportunity in many cases because, because staffing is so short, because there are calls stacking up in the, in the queue, they're either expected to or feel a sense of duty to log back into the system, take the next call, take the next call. And that's really stressful. You know, that's a, that's a very difficult position for these folks to be in. Hey, hey, Samantha, I, I want to jump in here for a minute and, and, and kind of build just a skosh on, on what Bob was saying. I About 20 years ago, I found myself reading a lot of fiction. I was a big Michael Crichton fan. The cool thing about Michael Crichton was this dude was wicked smart. He was a doctor. He was a lawyer. He was highly trained. And you would read these books and you'd come away smarter somehow. And he wrote a lot of really interesting stories. One of them was Jurassic Park. I remember reading Jurassic Park and then reading The Lost World and waiting on pins and needles for Lost World to come out. The book was fantastic. The movie came out. It was lame sauce because the creation of the story was so far superior. Enter the life of a call taker. The story unfolds in front of them. It's vivid. The author is on the other end painting the picture and they have all of these pictures in their head that are created and they never get closure and it creates a whole heck of a lot of psychological trauma and that's why we have to take care of them and you asked a question or you inferred why aren't they getting the benefits because of money it's difficult to have the financial means to take care of everyone and these are just the difficult choices that are that are being made there's a unfunded liability that is considered and sometimes it isn't fair and they're they're still trying to work it out because they want to do the best things for the employees but at the same time they have to figure out a way to pay for it so it's a difficult problem there's no question about it we just add samantha that i i don't see ai although although one could argue this case that it's replacing the need for for dispatchers i i don't see it that way because we actually need twice as many or 911 call takers that we have in our systems today for the reasons we've already talked about. Uh, this I see this technology as a tool to insert into the system to optimize the resources we have to utilize the highest trained professionals in the way that they, they what what they intended when they joined the 911 system to do, and that's help process and manage emergent calls provide pre pre-arrival instructions to folks that are on the phone and be able to support the emergency response personnel once they're on scene. 
And unfortunately, our system, because it's become the frictionless access to government services, they're finding their demand is not not doing those those things that we have highly trained them for. And this will optimize resources. I applaud the courage of this organization for introducing the artificial intelligence. And we're going to learn a lot from it. They, they describe themselves as an early adopter. And that's what we need right now. We need 911 systems that have the capacity to study the quality assurance of this system so we can build confidence in the and what we do know about AI. And I don't know a lot, but we do know this is it learns and it gets better. It gets better in a short period of time. Okay. Our listener question for this week is, if you could switch roles with any other member of the fire service for a day, who would it be and why? That, that's an interesting question. It is hands down the engineer. Uh, and maybe not a particular person, but a role in the fire service system. I was never an engineer, but I was jealous. When, when I, I, you probably didn't want me to be an engineer because I probably didn't need to be operating fire engines. I drove a fire truck one time for, for our listeners that aren't in the service. That's when the big ladder across, across the top. And it was this humiliating experience as I couldn't turn. I, I was, I, I had a permit for this folks. This, I was, I had some degree of a licensure to drive this. And I misjudged this turn in an intersection and I was not going to clear the traffic pole. Now I was smart enough to know that I stopped it before I, before I hit the pole. But what ensued after that was this humiliating experience of everybody else on the crew having to, to pop out like a confetti gun out the doors of this, of this ladder truck and stop traffic from all directions so that this incompetent driver could, you know, back the truck up, you know, the 15 feet I needed to make the, make the clearance. And that was the last time I ever drove a fire truck. But I never met an engineer in the fire service who was who had a countdown clock to retirement. Like these were happy people in the in the entire organization who were just going to work, work, work until they till they decided it was time to stop versus other positions in the organization typically have a countdown calendar till the time of, of retirement. So if I had a chance, to, I've, I've loved every role I've had in the fire service, just to be clear, but nobody uh, at scale is as happy as the engineer in my experience. Bob, I love that. I'll just toss in here. I, I actually, I, I spent a lot of time at engineer. I had no business doing it. Truth be told, only about a year and a half ago, if you can believe this, I drove a fire engine I drove a fire engine and that was an absolute disaster. Not in a code situation, mind you, but I shouldn't have been driving it whatsoever. But for me, it would have been in the role of arson investigator. I always thought it would be cool to go through a post training and, and have a law enforcement background. Unfortunately for me in my career, I was at an intersection where it was company officer or arson investigator. So I didn't get a chance to do it, but I certainly have an huge amount of respect for those people in our industry that locate, identify, and then arrest and incarcerate those that start fires. And I think that that would have been a really, really cool situation to be a part of. And yeah, that's something that I would like to have done for a bit for sure. Hey, I'm right there with you, Jeff. To be able to pinpoint the exact origin of a fire is a very fascinating job. Okay, thank you, Bob and Jeff, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines.